<laughs> One second, let me put this cat away. She has just woken up and she's making all this noise. Don't you oh, know I'm talking to Monet Exchange? <laughs> oh, I, can't, I can't even hear her. scorekeepers we're back it is time for another episode of the score this is the podcast where we talk about classical music pop culture uh opera (laughs) definitely opera (laughs) 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 from the perspective of three black queer arts administrators i am your host rocky jones as always i am here with dr lee bynum and Paige reynolds but we have to dispense with all of the pleasantries because we don't have time for that today because it is an amazing day today. If you have been listening to the show since the very beginning, then you know that especially Lee and I have a huge, huge love for drag, for the art of drag. Art of drag. Yes, and RuPaul's Drag Race. And today we have a legend on the show. Monet Exchange is going to be on the show today. I can't. I can't. But I don't you even have know to. what to do with myself. You, you have to. I, I know I have even. to. <laughs> like, I am what? Unable. Like, is this life? <laughs> it cannot be. <laughs> you know like everything everywhere all at once y'all seen that like yeah, no, this is like an alternate universe this is uh, <laughs> so we were having a very interesting conversation though last friday because i have never been in drag this is like you never having gone to Detroit. Like I, apparently, yeah. the way y'all reacted, I'm like, mm, you sure? With those cheekbones, never oh, not once. You stop! Oh my god, <laughs> you are so sweet. <laughs> yeah, no, never. I mean, like, I'm, I maybe like. Put on my mom's high heels like every other gay boy in the universe when I was, you know, a toddler or something. But <laughs> yeah, no, never, never since then. And it's not that I don't want to. It's not that I'm not interested, but I've just never had a a, a, a drag mother to show me what to do. Well, then we'll just have to fix that because this yeah. is an oversight. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like now I have two, <laughs> which is very exciting. So, I mean, what what are we thinking, though? So, I definitely think we need to put some hair on you with some height. Okay. Um, that, I like that. Yes, that that is definitely part of the plan. Also, some some sparkle in your garment. I think okay. we definitely need that. Um, I think we're going to go with some generous padding. We will create a new silhouette for you. Do I need generous mm-hmm. padding, though? I mean, I feel like I'm pretty... Eek. You've been hitting the gem kind of hard, so I we have. are going to mm-hmm. make sure that you have all of the, the curves and shapes that will create an illusion okay. about uh-huh, uh-huh. the person you are. I will not mentioned the drag name that you suggested to me last Friday that was vetoed by one and all. But I was going for more <laughs> like a like a fun, campy sort of thing. The look on Pablo's face to me said everything <laughs> that we needed. Like that name is clearly not going to fly with America. Yeah, okay, it didn't whole well, sweetie. Whole well. <laughs> but what about the second one? The second one was better. It was moving in the right direction. Yeah. All right, fine. So maybe this is a job for scorekeepers. Scorekeepers. Yeah. What hmm. should Rocky's drag name be? Ooh. Well, no, okay. Sir. 
you know, this is a, a well-read bunch. So oh, we'll I like that. Good names coming through. Yeah, the the <laughs> the the score at uh, mnopera.org. Um, yeah, send us your suggestions. I would love to to get a uh, uh, some suggestions from the public. That would be amazing. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. clearly I. I'm not good at this. I'm I'm good at branding everything else. <laughs> apparently not my drag self. <laughs> I don't know if it's because you're a Sagittarian, but for mm-hmm. some reason I'm I'm seeing like warmer colors and almost like a fiery mm-hmm. like kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Is it my like, background today? Like a red and gold sequence, maybe. I can see red and gold. Yeah. I don't know. I could see you wearing something like that and like just doing a mean version of uh, a proud Mary <laughs> like actually I mean would, funny really like tear it up like I just know it I just feel funny like- story because my sister tells the story she was over um because my sister is 15 years older than me so she moved out when I was like three um so she was over for a visit and I was maybe seven or eight at the time mm-hmm. and we were watching what's love got to do with it (laughs) on vhs (laughs) and the proud mary scene where she's wearing the the fringe sequin situation Mm -hmm. and and twirling we all know Mm -hmm. what i'm talking about um of course when that happened i got up and i started to twirl around the room and my sister says that's the moment they knew <laughs> my mom just looked at each other and we're like oh okay yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah so i do have a, a an affinity to that that's part oh. of my personal history so i would be absolutely down for that that I sounds amazing <laughs> i'm scared of the idea of twirling in heels <laughs> but i'm open to trying <laughs> okay we can get you a sturdy heel and that's where you know those little rubber things on the bottom come through there are different ways to make your bottom of your shoe sticky I you know, I don't want to wear anything ugly though. I don't want like a chunky '90s heel. Or oh no 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 no! no, 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 okay. no. Talking about that, mm-hmm. certainly mm-hmm. no no kitten heels, no pussycat wigs, oh, none no, of that. No, 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 yeah. no, this, no. This isn't. This is not what we're doing. Never that. Never that. Yeah. Because if I can't be campy and fun, I want to be the hottest that there ever was. All right, yeah. taking notes, taking and, notes, and okay. glamorous. Okay. And and like I I'm like I'm thinking like Angela Bassett, mm-hmm, Beyonce, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. going in that direction. Mm-hmm. I know I I will probably never get there in my lifetime. But... <laughs> <laughs> like at least driving in that direction. <laughs> well, your references are right, and that is you know a good eighty six percent of the battle, in my opinion. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well i'm excited i am too i, too. I love a project mm-hmm. i love a little i love a little styling you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a little art direction <laughs> <laughs> mothers shape me mold me <laughs> <laughs> well oh and maybe we should ask monet what she thinks too. <laughs> it might be a great use of having an actual drag icon yes. on the show. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, I can't wait any longer. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, Monet Exchange is here. Um, Daughter of the Regiment is currently at the Ordway. Go see her in it right now. It's so amazing. I can't wait to talk to her all about it and all things Drag Race and all of the things. So stay tuned and Monet Exchange will be here right after the break. Yay! All right, and we are back. And... Let's just get to it because we are so excited to have our next guest on the show today, a legendary legend, born and bred in New York City, 
The amazing, fabulous Monet Exchange is an entertainment spitfire and the first double crown winner from RuPaul's Drag Race, having earned the title Miss Congeniality on season 10 and became the first queen of color inducted into the Hall of Fame after winning All-Stars 4. Known for delivering energetic and show-stopping performances, Monet's showmanship reflects a tireless work ethic. After RuPaul's Drag Race, Monet released a debut EP called Unapologetically and traveled around the globe with her one-woman show, Call Me by Monet, as well as hosting and performing in the Work the World Tour. And of course, we all remember All-Star 7, where she was the runner-up. <laughs> amazing, incredible, incredible work. Um, <laughs> since hosting her talk show, The Exchange Rate, Produced by Yahoo, Monet has been focusing her oftentimes sociopolitical humor as the co-host of the popular podcast Sibling Rivalry with co-host Bob the Drag Queen and has begun co-hosting a new podcast with the legendary Lady Bunny called Ebony and Irony. But we are so excited because right now she is joining us in Minnesota at... Uh, at the Ordway Center for the Performing Arts um, through February 12th. You can catch her as the Duchess of Krakenthorpe and Donna Zetti's Daughter of the Regiment. We are honored. We are so excited. Welcome to the show, Monet Exchange. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> also freezing cold. It's very cold here in Minnesota. Yeah, oh, yeah. Man. We ordered you up a polar vortex. We couldn't do the snow. <laughs> I, know. I was like, this is crazy. And I went to Barry's this morning and uh, the temperature was like negative seven outside. I was like, My black God. people should not be living in this type of situation. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a big reason why Lee got out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It feels against every fiber of my being sometimes. Oh, not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, you're the one that grew up up here, so. <laughs> and it still doesn't feel right. I'm from New York and people are like oh well you you're you're used to the cold and I'm like yeah but in the Midwest it's like different it's like it's, it's like a, it's a bone chilling cold it's just very different than East Coast uh, temperatures for sure it's also the wind and it's the lack yeah. of humidity there's uh -huh. just no moisture in the air there's no yeah. lotion on earth <laughs> it's the kind of cold that like literally takes your breath away when it you really walk does. out the door like I don't think people understand that yeah, agreed. Agreed. <laughs> well as cold as it is we are so happy that you're here and so I guess my first question is is you know we all saw you on all-star seven um perform the house down so amazing um and so we're just so here so excited that you're here to perform with us and so what made you decide that this was the opportunity that you wanted to take on coming to um, Minnesota and performing in Daughter of the Regiment. Yeah, so you know, so I say that Aria and the talent show on All Stars Seven, and I had a lot to redeem myself for from All Stars Four, and it went so well we because <laughs> because, <laughs> because it was so well received. I had so many people like positively reaching out about it, and. By the time I, I sang Vida Viso on there, just it, it just opened up a whole new world of different opportunities. And when Ryan Taylor, who is um, the director here in Minnesota, um, reached out um, to me via my friend Laquita Mitchell, I was like, you know what? This is like the perfect little role to dive back into classical singing and opera singing. Because, you know, I have not had a voice lesson since I graduated um, <laughs> Westminster in 2012. Wow. <laughs> so I had, there was a lot of, there was is a lot of work to do to get back to the level of these amazing singers that you have that are, that, that, that occupy the opera space and that are here in the show. So I was like, this role is just one aria and like two scenes. I was like, I can handle this. And uh, it's going really well. We had the opera, um, we had the, um, the Vamba Probe the other day with the orchestra in the theater. And it was really great to sing with an orchestra again. And it was just, it was very lovely. I'm very happy to be back. Yes, and we're happy to have you. I'm, you. I'm really curious about how, what your journey to classical music was in the mm. first place. And do you see ways that it like informs or interacts with who you are now and your performance now is Monet Exchange. Yeah, so um, and I went to a, a performing arts high school in New York City. I went to um, PPAS, 
um, which other legends went to, like Alicia, Alicia Keys graduated from PPAS. Britney Spears went there for her sophomore year of high school. Woo, woo, woo. Oh, and, okay. um, I didn't know that. So, right. yeah, she did. It was it was some, some, somewhere around after the Mickey Mouse Club, and she was like looking for a record deal in New York, and she lived uh-huh. in New York for like a year or two, and she went to my high school. Um, and and obviously she didn't need to graduate because she was a star before before her her senior year. <laughs> um, so, but yes, I went there and I'm there. There was we had this um there was this choir called Song of Solomon. It was directed by Chantel Wright, and she had us like doing like classical music. We were singing lots of anthems, a lot of spirituals, a lot of mm-hmm. big works like the Schubert Mass in G and like the Fari Requiem and all these things. And then so be, I, that was like my introduction to classical music, well, choral music specifically. And then when it came time for college, I was like, you know, I want to, I think I want to like, everyone was telling me that I had such a beautiful voice and I really have a future in, in opera if I really like um, went to a good school and really nurtured my gift. And um, all signs directed to Westminster Choir College in Jersey, which, where I studied with Miss Sharon Sweet, and I majored in um, music ed and opera performance. And after like the first year, I dropped the opera performance because the music ed degree was literally the same thing, with like the exception of like two classes. I'm like, I'm not gonna kill myself for this and <laughs> do a whole other year and give Sally Mae another fifty thousand dollars. You know, I'll just, I'll just, uh, I'll chop it. <laughs> and then so I just did that, and um, from there, I sang with after I graduated. I sang with Portland Opera with their pogo program for two years, and then um, the, after that, I, I t- that was that was my last thing in opera. That was 2013. It was my last thing I did with classical music, and I found drag, and through drag, um, I found opera again. So it's kind of this like cyclical thing that kind of happens in my life. And opera was my first. Opera was my introduction into classical music. Opera was opera. I mean, opera was the way I discovered that I was an artist and. I wanted to be an artist and, you know, through opera and drag, I've kind of found my way kind of back to both each time. It sort of makes sense to me because I always feel like opera is the the draggiest of the oh, performing disciplines. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so can you, can you say a little thing of a little bit about maybe how the two interplay for you and how it's not just possible, but um, actually quite natural maybe for these two art forms to exist in the same person because I'll, I'll bet there are a lot of folks out there who would be surprised to know that there is a, a world-class opera singer who's embodied in exactly the same person as a world-class drag queen yeah well you know in um in college i took this class called the singing actor and so many of those skills I learned in that class, I find I found myself putting into into lip syncing and into like my into my drag, in, into into my performances in drag because you know when you're when you're lip syncing a song, even though it's not even though it's not you singing "Natural Woman" by Aretha Franklin, you want to make the audience feel like it is you, and there is a certain thing to be you know to be one of the top girls in New York City. Like you had to be one of those girls that can make an audience feel. And really and really sell this song. So I, I I found myself using a lot of those tricks. I would hear I would hear Laura Brooks Rice, my singing actor teacher, yell at me and, and and have me do the scene over and over and over again. I'm like, yeah, I can I can I can pull those skills. But as far as opera, I mean, drag. You know, when coming up in New York City, I was working. I did. I had seven gigs a week. I worked. I worked a Sunday Ooh. through. I worked Sunday through. I mean, Saturday through. Friday. I did, sorry, Saturday through Thursday. I did a gig every night of the week, um, Sunday through Thursday. And on Saturdays, I had two gigs. I would do brunch and then I would do a gig at night. And keeping up with that schedule and also finding time to practice and also getting enough water and getting enough sleep and talking on the mic for three hours every night. Like I found, I found it very hard to maintain um, my classical stuff with that schedule. But now, you know, post RuPaul's Drag Race, I'm very grateful and lucky to work enough that I can, you know, choose my schedule and 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 balance it out a, a bit more. But when I was trying to come up and make my way in New York City, it was hard to balance it too. Oh, and I also had a church job where I I, I would have we would have choir rehearsals on Wednesday night. And I would sometimes go to go to church bar rehearsal in drag because I had a gig at 11 o'clock that night. So we would have rehearsal from like 6, 6.30 to 8.30. And I would rush over to in Midtown to get to therapy bar and slap my wig on, put my shoes on and do a show that night. And then 
I would work Saturday nights until like one o'clock in the morning and I had to be at church by like eight o'clock. So it was, it was a very rough schedule, but I really wanted to make both work and I love both. And um, if you really love it, you'll find time. But I will say it was not easy. It was very hard to maintain a healthy um, uh, a singing voice and also keeping up with the throes of nightlife. So what did the folks in the church say? When you showed up to rehearsal and drag. <laughs> well, you know, I went to Christ Church. I, I worked at Christ Church, which is a very loving and, and, and accepting and accepting church over on 60th and Park in New York City. And um, directed by Steve Pilkington. He was one of um, my professors, actually, at Westminster. And when I graduated, I was like, hey, I'm back in New York. And I was I would do anything as singers, artists. You're trying to wherever you can get in and fit in and get a dollar. I was like, you know, um, I can, I can, I would love to um, sing in the choir. And I was the first bass and I would have solos and stuff. And it was, but the, the church overall is a very, very, very loving church and really, very sweet. And they would, they welcome all, there's no judgment. And, and sometimes Steve knew that I would have to just come to rehearsal in, in full phase. And, but I was still busting out the notes though. Mm -hmm. I was still sight reading um, <laughs> down. So um, Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I, I'm also curious about just like what the process has been so far and, you know, daughter of the regiment re rehearsal, you know, you mentioned a little bit this, like, you know, it's been a minute. You got to get back into the groove of, yeah. I mean, not just, you know, classical voice, but, you know, I'm sure it's a whole different rehearsal process and all that yeah. and being in the room with other musicians again, what's that been like for you? Yeah, well, coming back into this, first of all, when we were, you know, because this role, um, this role is is kind of is a very unconventional role. Like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg has played this role, and obviously she's not a singer, so this the role doesn't always have to sing. But in this production, um, our director John Dielas, John De Los Santos, he was very adamant that, that it should be a singing role. So when we, were, so when I agreed to be a part of the show. Um, they were going back and forth about what aria I would sing, and we settled on um, La Calunia from um, the Barbara Seville. And I've never sung this aria before. I didn't know the artist aria. So when we when they found it out, I busted out my old bass aria book from college, and thank God the the aria was in there because uh, it's one of the bass standards. And I took out my old IPA notes and I went through all the language <laughs> and all the IPA stuff and I went to go get translations and make sure I know what, what the heck I'm singing about so it was it was like me like pulling pulling out all those skills from a decade ago to make sure that I am you know doing this right because I didn't want to come in and it'd be like this quote-unquote star role and then like half-assing it and it being you know not great I wanted to to really give it my all and do the and do the best that I can and um, so I did that through from in, in all of December. And then um, I met, I came here December 27th after Christmas and I met with um, Mario Mata, who is the, um, who, 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 who's one of the head coaches here. I'm sorry, not, he's not the head coach, his title. I keep on forgetting. Head of music. Head of music, sorry. Um, Mario's the head of music and we had a coach on the first day and I was like, and I came, I was like, just so you know, it's been a while and I, I did my best, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And after we got done, he was like, what are you talking about? He was like, this was great. He was like, you sound great. I love the things you're doing. And obviously there were a few things that he helped me with, like that I wasn't thinking about, like different breath, breaths I should do here, phrasing and stuff like that. But it's all meticulous work that anyone would do with an aria. But um, yeah, I was just, I'm very grateful for me remembering and having and not throwing out any of those old uh, notebooks I had from college so I could just <laughs> brush up on those skills and get this language together. So outside of the, the technical pieces, does any of this feel very different coming back to this either because it's, you know, 10 years since the last time that you've done it and you've experienced so many things artistically and professionally that have shifted it? Or maybe, you know, just because the landscape of classical music has changed so much post George Floyd. I'm curious about how you're experiencing this process now at this particular stage. Um, you know, since I've been so far removed from this from this a long time, like yeah, I have been so far removed for a long time, but I've been talking to other singers here and also my friends in the classical music world. And I I I have heard some of the rumblings and going on of how things have shifted and changed since George Floyd. And I think it's much needed, you know, as someone who can kind of take a step back and remembering my times, I, you know, 
it's no secret that a lot of people feel that opera singers and classical people are a little gatekeepy and it is it, <laughs> just it, a so it's nice to hear that we are making strides to break down those barriers and because i know a lot of people uh, preach about um inclusivity and and, and making sure opera is accessible. So I'm happy that people are really not just saying that, but like actually trying to make strides to do that. Because, you know, by st statistically, I'm not supposed to be here doing this. You know what I mean? I'm some mm -hmm. I'm some little black, uh, uh, lower middle class kid from, from East Flatbush, Brooklyn. And now I'm here singing a role at the Minnesota Opera. So, you know, I, I, I'm very grateful of the work that people are doing. And now that I'm coming back into this, I would like to, see what I can do on my end with my little bit of gamist stardom and whatever, however I can swing, <laughs> push the needle and move things and influence it in, in any way I can. I would love to um, do that for, 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 the, for the community and the culture. Well, that actually brings up a question that I was going to ask because I'm just so curious after having this experience, like, do you think you're going to keep going and keep, you know, trying to perform in, you know, more operas, more classical music? And do you think there's anything that, you know, institutions like ours can do to continue to foster the growth and of, of Black artists such as yourself? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely want to keep on going this. You know, again, I, I said it before, like opera really is my first love. And it's, it's the thing that made me realize that I wanted to be an artist and I wanted to back then be a starving artist. You know what I mean? I was like, I'll just <laughs> I so I want to keep on going. And I think I'm lucky that I've kind of got the second chance at it because I know some people, a lot of us spend a lot of just money on these degrees and we end up working for medical sales or, or in something that we did not, there's something so far away from what we went to school for. So kind of happy that I kind of got this like second shot at um, something that I love to do. And I, so I don't want to take that for granted and I want to work hard, but I also want to pay my dues and not just be, and not just get opportunities because of who I am, but but what my talents are and and, and what those are for me to get. So I want to do the work that way. And um yeah, there, there are already some rumblings about some future things. One of my one of my dreams, because my favorite opera is the Magic Flute. Um, love, love, love the Magic Flute because of Deanna Damrau and her um, and the one she did the Met is one of I I mean in college I must have watched that video easily I, I contributed to about a third of those billion views <laughs> on youtube for sure so in my mind there is a world where there is this like drag zarostro versus like the queen it's just like queen oh, versus yes. queen i'm like what director or what who's going to take this on this production on of this like ridiculous over the top queen versus queen zarostro versus the queen of the night <laughs> like like <laughs> freaking uh freaking uh marvel endgame like that like, i think it could be so fierce so i am i'm i'm, I'm hoping that that opportunity presents itself sometime in in, in the future for sure i hope so too do y'all hear that do y'all hear <laughs> that? I mean, that hello me, right hello opera, like, opera administrators do you hear this opportunity right now? like even like, even like like all the priests are in drag and zarastro is drag is a drag and the queen of the night obviously she's like i mean it would just be like because i think that's what opera needs like we need to show yeah. because i feel like younger people want to get involved in opera but they again to go back to the gatekeeping thing. They feel like there's no space for them there, and I feel like if we if we tub on their creativity a little bit, like in LA Opera, I went to go see this really cool production of um of um Lucia, like set in like the 2000s this this season. And I was like, oh my god, it's like again, I love Lucia. It's one of my favorite favorite um operas. But to see it set in this really cool way with like a with like a Ford Pinto and like a Ford F one fifty and like it's just. It just makes it just a little more exciting. Like those same arias, we can we can still gasp and gag at the mad scene, but it just feels a little fearsome when she has an iPhone in her hand too. Like I think that we can do work to make these very, very, very old productions and these old, old, old arias make them fun and exciting and new again. I love that. Yes, yes. I I feel like there's a lot opera can learn from drag. <laughs> there's a whole lot that opera can learn. Um, and there, I want to go is. back to, oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say, because there is, you know, if as you know, when I was working in New York City coming up and even drag from right now, a lot of being successful in drag, you are your own producer, you're your own writer, you're your own joke teller, you're the own host. Like, 
there's there you constantly thinking of ways to innovate your drag and to and to make it exciting because again I was working seven shows in New York City so like what am I offering these people every night to make them want to come back and you know I was very grateful to be a very successful queen in New York City my shows were always well attended because I was always trying to figure out new way exciting ways to keep the audience engaged and make it fun like why why do you want to come and see me at midnight at Barracuda Bar on 23rd Street on 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 a Monday night like what am I doing to make you want to be late for work on Tuesday morning. And I think that thinking with, in, in terms of opera, I think we can think that way too. Like what, how can we make these productions new and fun and exciting to make people want to spend, to, 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 to become ticket season holders. So want to see, um, you know, this new Rigoletto or, 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 or this new Don Giovanni. Like we have to think about that. Ooh, if I had a nickel for every time I was at Barracuda Bar. well monet i have a a slightly different kind of a question for you um one of the things that's been like actively troubling me and we we've talked about this the three of us a couple of times is that there has been this like pendulum swing in the last couple of months that that feel like it's really trying to problematize drag right and then like out of places like Arizona there are all of these laws that are coming out that are meant to suppress the art form and to you know sort of represent it to people as something that is potentially problematic for kids and you know it's it's really disturbing for a thousand reasons but some of that is certainly because of how like incredibly successful uh, drag has become in the last couple of years. And I'm curious yeah. if you have uh, any perspectives on either where this is coming from or what we can do to counterbalance some of it. Yeah, I think it's the, it's, it's the ongoing efforts of the of um, of the right to to make us look like to, to to paint us as something that we're not. And you know, I mean, number one, I I don't want kids at my show when I'm in drag. I don't want. <laughs> kids there like i don't even I'm, like i don't think there's That's any real. drag queen fighting like, for, for kids i don't think there are any I've drag queens it. right i don't think any drag queens have kids at their shows i don't think any drag queen is fighting for kids to be let into their in, in, into their 11 o'clock show at uh at uh, at gay 90s or at the saloon on a tuesday <laughs> I, don't, I, I may be wrong but i don't think that's the case and also if you really look at this legislature um it is just a way to they're saying they're saying drag queens, but it is a way to denigrate trans folk, to to to, to, to to denigrate trans people. And I think that we really have to look at that, like because because the language they're using, they are for all intents and purposes describing and outlying trans women so that they can further um, marginalize them and demonize them and weaponize this fight for this fight against drag story or this fight against drag story hour to really come for um, trans women. So I think that that's, that when you really look at the legislature and you get down to the, the, the nitty gritty, that's what it's about. And it's like, it's like I, as if trans people have not had to endure enough and that they still do not endure enough every day just to exist, that should get normal basic human rights, just to have civil rights in this country. And now we're trying to attack um, dress up drag queen story hour as a way to attack them too. It, 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 it seems, it seems like a like like a fight that we will continue having, but I am down to I will be fighting until I until there's no fight to be had, and I'm always ready for that. Period. Period. Also, the insidiousness of kind of trying to just paint drag is like something that's inherently sexual, inherently yeah. sexual, mm-hmm. and just inappropriate. And yeah. First of all, that's not even <laughs> where it, it started. And if yeah. you consider some of the most, even the most beloved stories that have some form of a man playing a woman or a woman playing yeah. a man yeah. or someone just extremely altering their appearance in some way, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's drag. And like so this- to paint into something else is 
You, you know, the other day, the other day, 40, 46 men were arrested in Frisco, Texas, uh, all part of this like sex trafficking ring with like mm-hmm. with, with like minors and whatever. They were like volunteer firefighters, high school teachers, mm-hmm. a youth pastor, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a, a pro hockey player, a hospital director of operations. Not one drag queen was among this list of 46 men arrested for sex trafficking minors. So I think that is a big you know, indicator of like what's really going on here. Who you who who we should be really um um who this fight is against really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I saw a tweet the other day that was like, you know, kids nowadays every month do you know active shooter drills at their school. I, I think like they can handle being told what drag is. And what exactly. It's, like, oh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's just exactly. it's ridiculous. Like, what are we going to ban like performances at Twelfth Night now? well i have some drag race questions oh yeah let's get to it (laughs) (laughs) so i mean i guess my first the biggest question that i have is with all-star seven the Mm -hmm. all-winner season were you nervous going back did you have any trepidation about going back for an all winter season? Cause like, I don't know for me, I would be like, if I went on an all winter season and I didn't win, like, what would that mean? That would make me so nervous. So I, I think for the, for all of us, not even myself, I think all of us going in, like you, when, after you win, you know, there wasn't really a fear of like, you're, if, if I don't win this, I'm not worthy anymore. That invalidates uh, what I did before. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely did have that fear. And I, I know a lot of the girls didn't either. And um, yes, I wasn't really scared to go back. I mean, I didn't want to win, but I wasn't afraid of not winning because I already, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for what my career is and what I'm doing already off, um, not including all, All-Star 7. So it would, it would just be like a, a, little, a little extra icing on top. It wouldn't be... It wouldn't be, I, I wasn't going back for any type of validation or anything I needed like that. So I wasn't, I wasn't scared at all. I was, I was really confident in going back in. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. It does. I mean, I'm curious because, I mean, you mentioned earlier how, you know, opera and classical does have the reputation, reputation of being exclusive or you know, kind of uh, snooty, uppity, or sometimes just boring. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I wonder, like, with your choice to perform an aria in that moment, like, what what was happening in your decision making? Like, what uh, what made you know that that was the moment to bring it out? And were you just like completely confident that just like, yeah, I'm gonna clear it? Or were you just like, <laughs> I don't know if this is gonna land? I don't know how they're gonna feel. Well, you know, so we we knew that we were going to do a talent show, so we all like came with like what what we're going to do ready for our talent. And um, the episode before, they were like getting you know doing the last minute checks to make sure we're okay for our talent. And I was I was originally going to do um, this R and B song from this upcoming project I have coming out. And then like the day before, I was like, you know what? Actually, I'm not going to do that anymore. I want to sing an aria. And they were like, oh, um, do you have the music? I was like, no. You changed the uh, day before. Yeah, the day before I changed it. <laughs> and they were like, well, what were you going to sing it to? I was like, well, can you guys find me um, an orchestral um, uh, track for the opera Vida Viso from La Sonambula? They're like, I don't think we can do it in 24 hours. I'm like, I believe in you guys. I know you guys can. And <laughs> like all the, the day before, they were like coming back, like we were on set filming and they were like pulling me out of the room. They're like, how about this one? I was like, no, that's not it. And they were coming back and forth, back and forth. They finally found it. And when you do the talent show, your your track has to fit within 65 minutes. It can't be longer than 65 minutes. So when we got it, when we got the track, I had to like do some cuts and we had to like speed it up so that it would all fit in 65 seconds. And um, yeah, I, I, I did that because I was like, you know what? No one is ever saying opera on Drag Race. And I want to be the, I love being the first to do something. And um, yeah, I was, I, I just, I just knew that is what I wanted to do and what I needed to do. And I'm very happy I made the decision. So are we. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a, a fascinating season to watch. And I've watched every single episode of every single franchise, like a like some kind of wild, <laughs> crazy person who doesn't have other things to do. But it's <laughs> it's such a like um for me, it's like the the queer Olympics because every single 
category of thing that I feel like I care about in life, the hair, the makeup, the clothes, the heels, the lip syncing. I like, I, I care about that, like as a human, like when I'm at mm -hmm. work, like I, I notice these things about people. So watching this was really extraordinary. And you had some of my favorite moments of, of like any RuPaul franchise of any country and any language on the season, as a matter of fact, four of them. So I'm kind of curious to hear if you had any highlights from the season seven of All Stars. Um, for my highlights, I love doing um, <clears throat> that spoken word lip sync that Jinx and I did. Um, that's like a doing, I mean, it's now kind of uh, has, it's not part of a lot of different drag scenes, but in the New York scene, it was so common, especially back in the day, for us to put like spoken word into numbers. And um, so it's something I've been doing in drag since I started, honestly. So that was, I, that was one of my favorite moments. I also loved doing Michael, uh, Michael Jackson. Um, uh, oh my God, Mike Tyson on the Snatch Game. I've had <laughs> and um, yeah, I loved, I loved all, I loved all the clothes I, I, that I wore this on these runways. I, I, I felt so beautiful, even my, especially my finale one that was made um, by Chris Habana, who is um, a designer in New York City. And I, I just portraying this like cool Afro neo-futurism. And I just, I, I just, I just, I really enjoyed my runways this season. We all did. <laughs> We're still talking about them. <laughs> yeah, like the one dress, the leather dress, the strap. Yeah. I mean, oh my God. <laughs> when you came out in that, I was gagged completely <laughs> so i'm curious like between like season 10 and then all stars 4 and all stars 7 i mean obviously we've got to see the evolution of your artistry just incredible looks incredible performances so what you know what can you take us through just sort of some of the things that you learned between um season 10 and all star seven did you get any you know advice from from rue um or any of your other sisters or you know like what what has that journey been like um you know it's definitely been one of growth obviously because it's been what this is about six one well, on six years now since season 10 and um i think that the first time you go on the show for me it was season 10 and you like watch yourself back like you see how other people view you and you know some people go on the show and like they have this preconceived notion of how they want to present or what they think or who they think they are and um you know bob had done the show before me and he's just like you know you know when i when you go on on, on drag race like don't try to like be someone else i was like what do you mean he's like he's like rupaul like he had him a show of girl because he wanted you like he wanted he wanted monet he didn't want this other thing, like don't try to be like like some like like this shady country girl, whatever it is, just like really be you. And I think that advice stuck with me in every iteration of the show I've been on, whether it be season 10, All Stars 4, All Stars 7, Celebrity Drag Race, um, Canada Drag Race, all the things I've done in the different franchises, I've always wanted to just be myself because I mean the truth is Kevin Burton Monet changes fears and there's there is only one there's only one person can be me so um that's what I, I always wanted to present so I never really had any like big epiphany going to show like most people do because they see this for the first time and the only thing that I between season 10 and all-stars 4 they asked me to do all-stars 4 like and season 10 wasn't even finished airing yet we were on like episode six or seven of season 10 and they're like hey we're casting for all-stars 4 um, would you are you interested and i was like uh like when is this filming and like you'll have like a month and a half to get ready and i was like oh my goodness. god i was like i was still like touring and traveling and stuff for the first time like i didn't really know how to all to do to handle all that and then uh, my assistant patty was like well if you go back do you think you win i was like well i know i win the only thing i didn't have was a good close on season 10 so i know i can win if i go back all stars four and then so we sat with some designers and i made that decision to go back immediately and going back so quickly i was like I guess it's only in a drag race to have a great personality and some cute clothes and you can win. So um, that was that was probably the biggest growth I had in terms of like my mindset and how I needed to um, do better in the competition. I love it. It was the focus you came back with for me. Yeah. Just mm -hmm. like, mm -mm, I know what it was. Mm -hmm. Notes taken. <laughs> Notes taken. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I, I'm actually curious about uh, 
Monet, what your favorite Monet exchange moment is, but also from everybody, <laughs> your favorite. So this is kind of a question. This is kind of a question for everybody. I'm going to go ahead and answer first to give you a little time. My moment is actually not a singular moment. It's more of a collection of moments. For me, it, it, it'd be the fake split moment. It gets me every time. It gets me every time. I So yeah, not a single moment. Um, Rocky? I was actually going to say the same thing too. Um, really? Because I think that was the moment because that was the ball <laughs> challenge, right? Yeah. And so then like that moment happened and that's when it was just like, okay, save her. She's a star. <laughs> done and done. <laughs> and then the next one when you came out with the hairspray. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, that was all, all those things. I, this, the fake split thing, I used to do in New York all the time. But the hairspray thing, we were like, we were like walking to the runway. And I was like, oh, God. I need like something like that. Like, I was like, oh, we're walking to the runway. They had this like utility thing of all these like glue or hairspray or scissors, whatever it is. I just grabbed the two cans of hairspray. I was like, maybe I can use these. And then it just happened in the number. So that wasn't planned at all. That was impromptu. Yeah, it was on the way to the stage. Oh like, my goodness. Yeah. I think the old McDonald lip sync will live <laughs> forever and ever in my head because it was so unexpected, um, but perfect in every way. And the other thing that I, I, I just, I, I could actually go on and on and on about this, and maybe I will after you sign out, Monet, so I won't embarrass myself. But <laughs> like the, that last lip sync to the Katy Perry song on the All Star Seven, especially like the first eighteen seconds or so, and I know that it's the first eighteen seconds because of how many times I rewound it. Like it's just fantastic. Two of my all time favorite. Moments. I was really proud of that lip sync. You know, I was so proud of that lip sync. Like every. Anytime they lip sync on the show, everyone who works on the show, like from like lighting people, camera people, gaffers, costume, whatever, they all come to watch the lip sync. Especially mm. this one. This was the last one of the season. So like literally everyone on set came, they were watching it and they were just like so into it. And I felt like I was I felt like I was at my old I felt like I was at industry bar in New York City just performing for like a room full of people. It just felt great. And I just had such a good time doing that lip sync. Yeah, it, it was it was clear. It was kind of one of those things that was like infectious to watch because of how much fun you were having with it and yeah. also just how beautifully precise it, it was. I, I loved every second of it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, so I have sort of, well, a related question. So before mm -hmm. you signed on, the three of us were chatting and I've never been in drag before. And so, really? yeah, I know it's it's weird wow. and it's crazy and, and it's unexpected, but I'm totally all about it. Um, and so Lee and Paige offered to be my co-drag mothers. <laughs> 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 and so I'm just wondering, do you have any advice for like a little baby drag queen? Um, I think if we're, it's easy to get caught up in like what you look like. I know mm -hmm. when I first started putting like I would my face I'm like oh I don't look good I can't go out I can't go out and I was, it was always my excuse like not go out but I think that no matter what you look like when you the, you can look like the bottom of a shoe if you just put on if you do your best and you like you and you, when you go out and into the club people are gonna love it people are gonna be like oh bitch work like no matter what you look like I think that's a big a big misconception for young dragons they feel like if they don't look perfect they can't go out and everyone no one's gonna like them or no one will think that they look good. And that's not true. People, especially at gay clubs, like real gay clubs, people just love to see drag. And even if you don't look your best or you shine the brightest, people are just happy that you brought your, your drag queen behind to the club and they will fawn over you and they will um, want to keep on seeing you. Well, I think I could do better than the bottom of a shoe. I mean, that was me for the first for the, for, the, for the first year. I was not gorgeous. I was not pretty by any means, but I was still going out and I was feeling myself. I didn't care what I looked like. Well, I'm curious, like with the young queens, are you watching the current season that's on season yeah. 13? Yes, yes. So, so much hay has been made about like sort of the young TikTok queens versus the more seasoned club queens. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts about that? Because I mean, I think Lux is fabulous. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't, I don't have any qualms about you being a TikTok queen or you 
um, you just started drag a year ago. I do think that drag is one of the things, one of those things you can only learn doing it. And um, and whether that be just on TikTok, whatever it is, like you're perfecting your art form or however you want it to be. And I think the twins are a perfect example. Mm-hmm. They uh, started drag on TikTok and and they have they don't seem to have any inclination or or, or desire to want to do drag like at clubs or do all these things. And I mean, now being on the show, they will get presented with opportunities to do that. But from what they say on social media and on 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 the tube. They are completely okay with doing drag for their phones and doing and doing drag how they've been doing it. And I think that as we get older in this art form and as drag is developing, we're gonna see we have to be okay with new, different, and alternative types of drag. Just because someone's drag isn't the same as yours or isn't or, or does doesn't have the same ideals or the same tenets as yours doesn't mean it doesn't invalidate theirs anymore. It doesn't make yours better than theirs. It's just a different type of drag. Hmm. Well said. Well said. <laughs> well, one little surprise I didn't tell the two of y'all about, but we actually have a listener question. Ooh. Oh, yes, for you, Monet. So let okay. me let me pull it up. So this is from Melina, and Melina asks, "Does Monet have any dream artist that they'd like to work with?" Oh my God! Like a dream. I guess it doesn't have, just just across any 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 discipline. Uh, yeah, she, she did not specify. I mean, honestly, <laughs> one of my my Lord and Savior Rihanna. If Rihanna mm. would have me, if I could like sing something on a on a track or record or some live performance, I would die. I would gag, and, and because Rihanna would be the one to put some type of classical something into this like dope new R and B song or this like reggae something, and I would be. I hope that I'm the girl she calls. <laughs> my Bayesian cousin, yes. i am i am (laughs) maybe we can figure something out not that i know her but maybe i know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody (laughs) you never know (laughs) well this has been fabulous thank you so much monet for joining us I cannot wait to see you up on stage as the Duchess of Krakenthorpe um, in Daughter of the Regiment at the Ordway uh, per- Center for the Performing Arts. I know what it's called. The Ordway <laughs> Center for Performing Arts um, through February 12th. Um, and before we let you go, is there anything that you'd like to promote? Um, podcasts, socials, any upcoming performances other than Daughter of the Regiment that you'd like the people to know about? Um, yeah, I mean, just just my podcast, to the Marvory of Bob. We um, we put out two episodes a week, Monday and Wednesday. If you want a Drag Queries Review podcast, that's on Mondays, and our regular Shindig is on Wednesdays. And um, yeah, Ebony and Irony with Lady Bunny on um, every Friday. So just all the all the casts. Plug in the cast. Absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah. we will all be listening and can't wait to see you on stage, like I said. And thank you so much, Monet, for being with us. This was so this much was fun. fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, thank, thank you. you guys. All, right. all right. And we'll be right back with Pure Black Joy. Oh my goodness, can you believe? (laughs) Can you believe that that just happened? My God. Well, big thank you once again to Monet Exchange for being with us. I I have no words. It was extraordinary. (laughs) How exciting. How exciting. But even more exciting... Uh, It's time for our favorite um, segment of the show. As if that wasn't enough, (laughs) we have more. (laughs) It's time for Pure Black Joy. Are you ready, Paige? Ready. All right. And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three, four. It's peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter jelly with a baseball bat. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter jelly with a baseball bat. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter jelly.
Yeah, but I let you finish. <laughs> I let you finish this time. <laughs> Thank you. You're so welcome. You were so welcome. Well, that was beautiful as always. This is Pure Black Joy, where we talk about all the Black people, places, things, culture, music, food, art that's making us happy this week. And mm-hmm. uh, would anyone like to go first? I will. Okay. So something that's making me happy is um, a visit to a bookstore. That always makes me happy, but not just any bookstore, particularly Black Garnet Books, which is a Black-owned, Black woman-owned bookstore that is based here in the Twin Cities. Uh, They've been open for like a couple years now, a minute now, but they recently opened their brick and mortar shop in uh, St. Paul. And it was just such a nice experience. Oh my goodness. I'd actually been like ordering from them online, but you know, first time going into the physical store, first of all, it is so cute. They have like art up from local artists. So many of the books in there, almost, I feel like probably almost everything in there is like written by people of color, by yeah, black indigenous folks by there's lots of local books, the there's children's books, there's a whole bunch of uh young adult fiction and lots of Afrofuturist kind of books. My and, and, oh my gosh. They even have a section of manga. Oh and, wow. Yeah. Okay. And of uh, graphic novels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? Right. So um, it was awesome. I could have been, I was I in there for an hour? I don't know. I was in there for a while. <laughs> I, come out with a, I come out with a whole big stack of books, even though I already have several at home that I haven't read. Absolutely. <laughs> I sure did. Uh, <laughs> including one of my favorite au- authors, Akwaeke Emezi. They're a Nigerian author. Um who's also queer and I just bought like three of their books that I've always been wanting and I was you know looking at stuff for my nibblings and the children's book section (laughs) I even saw this read this book I sat down and read this book about two-spirit Hawaiian uh folks called Mahu um right like they had all kinds the selection it's it was the selection for me Mm. so um yeah, wherever you're at in, in the country, maybe even the world, you can shop online at Black Garnet Books. And I encourage y'all to do so, to support them. Yeah, we will definitely put the link into the chat. Absolutely. Um, that sounds or awesome. the chat, no. The show notes. <laughs> <laughs> the show notes. What? What? Behind the scenes, how the sausage is made. You weren't supposed to see that. <laughs> but yes, Black Art Notebooks. I, I need to get over there because I'm super excited that it's open now. Yeah, it's so nice. It's so cute. I just sit there and read a book for a while. Like, yeah, go buy some books, but also just sit in there for a while. It's a nice space. I love bookstores. I miss bookstores. Yeah. 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 I worked in a bookstore for several years and it was. That's cool. Yeah, it was just really lovely just to be able to just sit around and talk to people about the books and the music that they love all day Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. cultivate just a really like chill space. And we at the bookstore that I worked at, we were sort of required every month to like write something about one of our favorite books that mm-hmm. was so- sold in the store and like like write a little paragraph about it and stick it on the shelf by the book and it was just such a fun little exercise um to really get your get yourself excited about reading and literature mm-hmm. and yeah. expanding your horizons and sharing that with people so I think bookstores are amazing. (laughs) Well, Lee, what's making you happy? Well, one of my favorite things that's ever been created is The Wiz, the wonderful musical from (laughs) 1975 by Charlie Smalls, which is a retelling of The Wizard of Oz from a Black point of view. Um, Iconic. It, it's absolutely iconic. I love the 
original Broadway soundtrack with the young Stephanie Mills and Dee Dee Bridgewater and a bunch mm -hmm. of other super talented Black people. And of course, the movie from 1978 with Diana Ross and Michael Jackson, Lena Horne, Richard Pryor, and a bunch of other super talented Black people. Um, it's just a a great, great score, which also randomly features a song by Luther Vandross. If you didn't know, yes. Everybody Rejoice was written by him. It's just a great show. It's a great score. And it's going on tour again in the fall of 2023 in advance of a revival on Broadway the following year for its 50th anniversary. So very, very excited about this, especially because this production will have a black woman director, Shelley Williams, and a black choreographer, Jaquel Knight. And the libretto is being refreshed by a black comedian, the hilarious Amber Ruffin. So I think this is going to be a, yes. a really lovely thing to see. And hopefully they know that I would be a mean Glenda and they remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Take notes. <laughs> give me my Tony Award. Yes. Give it to me now. So. <laughs> I am so freaking excited for that. That's fabulous. Yes. Yes. Uh, the Wiz is like my happy place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, um, so we all know that fiction's not my thing <laughs> but <laughs> if I were to go see a piece of fiction it would be something like the movie Megan which came out <laughs> like a funny silly horror movie that's super campy and it's really cool that you know it came out and it has been exceeding all these expectations and all the memes and it's just been this cultural force or whatever I did not know that that movie was written by a black woman named yeah. Akila Cooper. So I just <laughs> wanted to say shout out to Akila, um, who's also written all sorts of things. She was a writer on American Horror Story and wrote Malignant, which was a I was reading about it and a wild movie last I've year. I've heard things about that one. I'm like, <laughs> right? <laughs> I didn't know that was her. Shout out to you, sis. <laughs> and now I want to go see Megan. Because like that's amazing. And shout out to shout out to her. And and Megan too apparently is coming in 2025. So she is staying booked and busy. Yeah. And getting her coins. So shout out to you, Akila Cooper. Yeah, congratulations, Akila. Mm -hmm. I actually don't ever watch horror movies. Like, I, I frighten very, very easily. And even things Same. that shouldn't yeah. be scary to me are terrifying. I never finished E.T., as a matter of fact, from when <laughs> I was about six, because it scared it's the scary. hot hell out of me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh -huh. So I don't know if I can handle Megan, but after you see it, tell me how scary it is. And if it's not like super scary if it's more on the side of not scary at all i also will watch it okay cool. no because i feel the same way i hate horror movies but i do love reading about horror movies <laughs> <laughs> which is weird <laughs> perhaps i don't know but just like delving into these people's imaginations and all of like the crazy things that you know they come up with um but I don't know. Megan just looks so funny. It does look me. really funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not normally a horror movie person either. I will read horror. I just feel like there's some things my eyes do not need to see. Exactly. Um, that's that's just me, you know. But <laughs> you know, stuff that can be like a little campy, mm -hmm. or if it's giving like more suspense yeah. or like psychological thriller, paranormal stuff too. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like like the the um i will i will never i will never see saw or yeah. anything like no, that no god no. i am i am not that girl what was that other like torture type one that came out that was like really like Hostile. huge yes yeah mm. <laughs> i mean yes uh -huh. like no i no. will never see it <laughs> <laughs> i just so i'm I glad just... she's not doing that type of stuff i'm glad yeah. she just don't seem to i i can i can get into it mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely i feel like 
I remember going and seeing whenever it came out, um, Orphan in the theater. Oh, Did you ever see? No, like it was hilarious. It was so funny. <laughs> it was so funny. Like, do you know the twist at the end of Orphan? No. Okay. I mean, it's a 15-year-old movie. So if <laughs> yeah, just tell us, just tell us. Yeah, like, like, you know, people, if you have not seen Orphan, skip ahead a minute or two. <laughs> you don't want it ruined for you. No, the whole thing about Orphan is that um the little girl, like she's like, you know, is killing people or whatever, and like coming on to like the husband, and it's just like, what is going on? Turns out that she is actually a 40-year-old woman who has a type of dwarfism. That's right. Where she like looks like a six-year-old girl, but she's actually like a 40-year-old, like a mental asylum escapee (laughs) 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 and it's amazing (laughs) so I'm thinking like you know Megan has that same sort of flavor of camp that I'm looking Mm -hmm. for or like do you remember like the good son when we were kids with Elijah Wood is that is that it Mm -hmm. yeah I I do I do remember that well if it's more like what Jordan Peele has been doing, then mm-hmm. like, because that that to me, like, there's an aspect of, of Get Out that's terrifying. There's an aspect of Nope that is terrifying, but like, they're generally fine, right? Like, it's not the stuff that like really sits with me, somebody getting their head cut off, like that right. kind of thing. Yeah. I'm not... I'm not here for it, but you know, stuff that's kind of like, hey, America's really scary, isn't it? And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, it is. That's the kind of horror movie that I can I can actually get down with. So America's got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's gonna do it for this week. Um, wanna thank Monet Exchange profusely once again for being with us and go see daughter of the regiment i think they're hopefully there are still tickets available i don't know how i feel about that anyway go see daughter of the regiment if you can <laughs> and as always subscribe on your podcast app of choice leave us a review on apple Podcasts. leave us five stars um tell all of your friends about us write to us at the score at mnopera.org if you want to weigh in on what my drag name should be and nothing untoward please (laughs) (laughs) keep it keep it polite please thank you and um i think that's it any words of wisdom before we go Hmm. I saw a tweet a while ago that Kim Kardashian bought Monet's sponge dress for $500,000. That's I, not true, is it? I, I also saw that. Um, I, Don't my, do that. That's my, my word of wisdom. My assumption is that <laughs> that was someone yanking our collective chain. I see. Okay. But you never know. But you never know. It is 2023. Stranger <laughs> things have happened. <laughs> but I was going to say, don't do that. <laughs> if you have $500,000 laying around, do something good with it. Invest in it. <laughs> the word of wisdom is check yourself before you wreck yourself. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> All right. We will see you in two weeks. And, uh, Everybody be easy. Bye. Bye, everyone.